If you would, please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And the verses we will be covering, verses 25 to 32 of God's holy word. <clears throat> For the past number of months, we have been going through Romans. We have seen a number of instances in which Paul encourages the Romans when it comes to the particular trials that they endure, the suffering that they endure. And we read, as Paul has encouraged them, he says, to really to look back and to see what good things have come as a result of the trial that you have been through. He says in chapter 5 of Romans that we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. In Romans chapter 8, as we have also been over, he says that the Spirit himself, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So a number of times that the Apostle Paul, as we've been going through Romans, has given such great encouragements when it comes to the trials that we endure, looking to see not necessarily the joy that is in the trial itself, because the trials are very, very difficult. But he does have us to look back and to see the good things that can come about in a trial. And there will always be trials to endure. And I had really done a lot of reflecting lately about certain trials that have been in my own life. I have been, just to be quite honest with you, I have been very, very uh, short, miserable, whatever you want to call it, uh, since about November because of certain things that have happened that were going on in my life, uh, in my work life, things that I allowed to get the better of me at times. And it was very interesting in one sense because there were things that never really bothered me before. But here we have so many good things that, have, that are occurring at the church, so many wonderful blessings that are happening, and all of a sudden I go into a particular trial of my own self, not really realizing what was happening. And talking with many of you, that many of you also have been going through trials and difficult circumstances. And I know for me that the way in which those particular things have affected me outside of church, that they have bled over into the church in the way that I have been perhaps with you. Maybe I've been short with you or maybe I haven't shown you my best lately. And that is something that I sincerely, sincerely apologize for. Sometimes things get the better of us. Sometimes it's not in the moment that you see it. But it's good when we can learn from certain things that, that happen and circumstances that we go through. You know, talking with many of you, many of you have endured such trials. And the thing that we have to always come back to and we have to always remember is that 
we get it. We're reformed people. We don't like to get too charismatic on things. But we do recognize that there is a real enemy out there. We do recognize that there is an enemy who seeks to devour. And it cannot be by coincidence that so many of us have endured similar things at the same time. That the enemy has really uh, perhaps put a focus on our little small congregation, perhaps just to try to get us off track. Who knows? But we understand that all trials and all things that occur, regardless if it's from the enemy or not, are always under the sovereign hand of God. And it's always something that we can learn from. And a lot of the things that I have endured, that you have endured as well, have all been really centered around our, our views on things, our communication on things. I can see, again, in, in my own self, a very lack of compassion, a lack of sympathy for those that I feel have wronged those that I love. I have a pastor friend of mine who is very, very close to me. And he calls me every now and again, tells me about what's going on at their church. And I can see in myself just how much I don't show the grace that I need to for him in my communication with him. I hear of the things that are going on at his church and those that are causing him strife. And the only thing that I think of is, well, I wouldn't take that. I can't believe that. What are they thinking? You get all of that because you like to defend those that you love. And I pray for him. I pray for him that God will give him grace to get through. But you know the very thing that I haven't done. And it should be a given. But I didn't do it. I pray for him. And I pray that God will give him grace. And that God will give him peace in his heart. And that God will bring him through. But I can't think of a time here recently that I actually prayed for the ones that was causing him strife. The only thing I had was criticism. And it got me to thinking a lot, you know, all of us are going through so many similar things, and this passage has come to mind. This passage is something that was recently read, uh, looked at in a book that was given to me. And it was a good reminder. It's a great reminder of what it takes to be a strong and united church. I look at some of the disunity that's going on in, in my friend's church. What is it that we can do to even learn from other churches as well of how we can be better towards one another, how we can be more loving to one another and more compassionate to one another, how we can learn together and to encourage each other in our trials. And so this passage here, it really, again, brings to light so many different things of things that we can do better for one another so that we don't fall into some of the other things that, that some churches do fall into because they're not united and they're not strong. A church is only as strong as its people. And we want to strengthen everybody that we can continue this journey together. We're in this for the long haul. And so I pray that this passage will indeed be one that will encourage our hearts and to help us to focus in on what is needed for our church to continue to grow and to be strengthened, to be strong, and to be united. 
So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 25, and this is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words. And let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we humbly come into your presence this day. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would do a mighty work within our hearts, that He would comfort us, that He would encourage us. Father, help us to, to look out for one another, to love one another, to speak well with one another, that we would be a church that honors you and brings you joy. Father, thank you for this passage, and we pray that you would do a mighty work in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, <clears throat> the focus here is primarily on unity. <clears throat> unity is, is vital to any church. He says earlier in chapter 4, well, beginning in verse 1, we'll just start there. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now he goes into the gifts that were given to the church. He speaks of the church unity. He gives, he gives an understanding of the gifts that were given. We recognize that the office of apostle and prophets have, have ceased. They were the foundation of the church. We still have evangelists, which are... Visiting preachers, by the way, usually uh, we think of evangelists, we think of someone with maybe one or two sermons who goes everywhere and, and does this tent revival or whatever. An evangelist is one who actually exposits the scripture. He is a preacher. And the same thing with pastors. We have evangelists, we have pastors, we have teachers. And we have them for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. He goes on to say, verse 14... 
As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the pro- proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we have unity being the theme. We have the gifts that are given to the church in order to strive for that unity, which does shed light on on what it is that we are to do as elders and deacons of the church, that we are to strive to to be examples. We are strive to, to help you in your times of need. You think of you think of just pastoring itself, so many things that are said throughout the scriptures of the responsibility that is given to the leadership of the church. As Jesus has said to Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, tend my lambs. The Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20, as he is departing from Ephesus, you have those that will come in who are wolves, guard the sheep. You have Paul's prayer. In Ephesians chapter 1, and this should be the prayer of every church. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The apostle also says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, his prayer for them, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. He tells Timothy to have the public reading of Scripture, to preach the word because there's teachers who are going to be tickling the ears of the people. There is much that the elders of the church are to do, the pastors of the church are to do, the deacons are to take part in, in seeking to teach what is good, to speak what is good in order to maintain unity in the church. Paul says... That his goal was to present the Corinthian church as a pure and chaste virgin. And that's what we are striving to do. This is part of our responsibility in order to maintain the things that are being said here. We try to be examples. We try to teach you. We try to, to do what we can in order to help you along in your sanctification and your growth in Christ. And just as an FYI. Let me say this to you as well. This is our task. This is our responsibility. This is, this is what we are called to do, the elders, deacons, to minister to you for the purposes that we're getting ready to see here to promote these qualities in you and to promote them in each other. But here's something I do want you to understand. As it's been said a number of times, usually when something is going on, when it's come to us, usually what we hear is, well, I know you have a lot going on. I know you have a job. I know you have a family. I didn't want to bother you with it. And I just want to let you know, yes, we have jobs. And yes, our families, we have them. And my, my uh, first and foremost uh, responsibility is to my wife and to my children 
and then to the church. But even in view of all that, as it is for me, for Jason, you're not a bother. We want to hear from you. We want to know what's going on in your life. We want to make time for you because that's our responsibility. Sometimes we don't do it to the best that we could. Sometimes things get, it, get away from us. So please, we are here for you. We want to help. We do ask that you would be patient with us as well. But here's our task. It is to promote these qualities in ourselves and in you to be a strong and united church. And as you look at verses 25 to 32, these are qualities that you would see in that the, these are the qualities that believers need to strive for because having these qualities and, and striving for them is to be more like our Lord. After he says what he does in verses 25 to 32, those particular things that we read over, you have in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and to walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. These qualities are qualities that, that are of the, the, new, the new man. These are the qualities that the Spirit of God brings about within us. These are the qualities that we strive after. These are the qualities that help us to be united together. So here we look at some of these that are communication, some of them that are more of an attitude, some of them that uh, cause us, I pray, cause us to have great reflection. As, again, they have, they have brought up in me a lot of reflection of how I have conducted myself in my life. And even recently with some of the things that, that I personally uh, have been going through, my own trials. One of the first things that is needed within any church to be strong is to speak truth. A church is, is built upon the truth of God. He says there, therefore laying aside falsehood. And it's a very similar word as he used earlier when he said you lay aside the old man. It's to lay aside falsehood. It's the same thing as to cast it off. Lay aside the falsehood and speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. A lot of these you're going to see a negative command. You're going to see a positive command. You're going to see the reason why. Speak truth. One writer says that telling lies is perhaps the most obvious vice of a former way of life whose chief characteristic was deceit. When you're reading here of speaking truth, it really harkens back to what we just read earlier in verse 16, that, <clears throat> that we are, or earlier, I'm sorry, that we speak the truth in love, verse 15. So we, we lay aside falsehood, we speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, we are speaking truth in love. And what is in view here, as some theologians have pointed out, is not necessarily lying about just this or that, it's, it's more theological lying. And so the, what is needed for a church to be strong and what's needed for a church to, to be united is, is truth. You have to have truth. Uh, one, one guy said uh, that we should never be guilty of sacrificing any portion of truth on the altar of peace. You can't have peace. You can't have true unity without truth. 
Truth is what unites us. Truth is what brings us together. It's the truth of God, and that's what we should promote in each other. There are times I think we want to be sentimental towards one another when we're going through various things, but the sentimental sayings that we come up with are really not true. You're a strong person. You'll get through this. No, you're not. You're not a strong person. You need the strength of God. And it's the strength of God that will bring you through. We speak truth to one another. We speak truth when, it, when again, throughout our circumstances or whatever, whatever it is that we're going through, you have some that would even dare to say when bad things happen to people that, well, that wasn't God's will. Well, we have a big problem if that wasn't God's will. It is God's will whatsoever comes to pass. He works all things after the counsel of his will. He declares the end from the beginning. No one can thwart his hand. We know all of these scriptures here. He's in heaven. We're on earth. He does whatever he pleases. God is thwarted by none. And so whatever it is that God allows for our lives in our circumstances, in our trials, these are things that are ordained by God, things that are really for our good. And so we speak truth. We, we don't come up with little wonderful sayings to try to bring comfort. A lot of times the comfort is, brother, sister, I don't know why this is happening, but I know God is going to use it for his glory. And in that I can be assured and you can be assured. We speak truth. We lay aside falsehood. And we speak truth. It isn't just something that is maintained by, by the leadership of the church. He says, for we are members of one another. It goes back to what he did say uh, about the whole body being fitted together by, by what every joint supplies, etc., etc. That every member of the body of Christ is to promote truth in one another and to give truth to one another. So that it's not just something that is coming from the leadership, but it is something that you are doing amongst yourselves. When you have a brother or sister that you know is going through a tough time, what is it that you're going to do? You don't go get somebody else and bring them to them. No, you in the moment that you have, you speak truth to them. You give them what is needed. And that's why it is necessary for us to know the word of God. It's necessary for us to know what is true concerning sufferings or pain or frustrations or any of these other things. So that you can edify your brother and your sister. So we speak truth one to another. We speak truth in love. We speak truth with the, the, the view that we're trying to build people up. We're going to get into that in a moment. But that's why we speak it in love. I care for you. I love you. I want to see the best in you. And so maybe we need to look at it from this point of view. And you help one another. And that's showing love and that's speaking truth. And it's speaking truth of what is true of God. That's, that's important. You need to know that. We speak the truth of God. And anything that is true is of God. We know that. And so we, we were truthful to one another. We control our anger. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. One writer says this, anger especially with reference to the neighbor easily degenerates into hatred and resentment. To love the sinner while one hates his, hates his sin requires a goodly supply of grace. The exclamation, I cannot stand that fellow, is sometimes uttered even by one church member with reference to another. 
It is for that reason that the apostle immediately adds, let not the sun go down on that angry mood of yours. End quote. William Hendrickson. I like how he says that. Let not the sun go down on that angry mood of yours. A lot of time what happens, and this is something that the Apostle Paul is addressing to this particular church, this church of Ephesus. You have from many different backgrounds that are coming together from a pagan background with ungodly practices and debaucherous practices and all of that, living in sin, etc., just like the rest of everyone else who before they were converted but they're now coming together and now they're having to come together and learn how to be united together and one of the very things that festers among a church is what paul is putting here is that be angry but do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath basically saying before the day dawns or before the sun goes down As he says, as Hendrickson goes on to say, genuine forgiveness must not only have filled the heart, but must, if at all possible, have come to an open expression so that the neighbor has benefited from its blessing. But here's the question. We read things like this. How do we do that? We have situations that, are, that have frustrated us. We feel like we've been wronged. Hendrickson says that before the day is done, before the sun sets, before the next day dawns, we need to have forgiveness to fill our hearts. That seems a lot easier said than done. How do we do that? How do, how do we carry that out? As simple as it may be, as far as what I'm getting ready to say, I think there is much truth here because that's exactly where the apostle is leading us forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you how can forgiveness fill my heart it's when we stop thinking about the situation we start thinking about ourself we start thinking about how we have offended a holy God and I can say for myself I have offended our Lord much more than I have offended anybody else or they have offended me. I know how much that I have offended God. And so as we begin to think of those things and we, we allow that to really go into our minds and down into our hearts to say, I'm angry. Yes. Maybe I have good reason to be angry. But oh Lord, even though you've been displeased with me, that you've been gracious to me. When you begin to think those things, when you begin to think of the graciousness of God towards you, it becomes a little easier to allow forgiveness to fill your heart. We recognize our shortcomings. We recognize that every day, Every day, we are asking our Lord to forgive us for something. Every day. So we don't let the sun go down on our wrath and we don't give the devil an opportunity. We need to 
And as believers, this is something that the Spirit helps us to do in our weaknesses, to bring those things back to our minds so we don't keep moving in one particular direction and, and dwelling on what is, what is happening. And I'm, the, I'm worse for this too. Uh, those close to me know very well that I stew a lot. Something happens, I stew on it. I'm doing better. I think H.B. Charles said, if you wonder what's the matter with me now, you should have seen me last March. We're making progress. I stew a lot. And when you stew, it only festers even more. But the Spirit of God in our weakness brings us back to those things that we know to be true according to the Word of God. You deserve this. But God granted you this. And so we remind ourselves what we know to be true. We, we keep preaching back to ourselves what we know to be true. We keep going over these passages of forgiveness in Christ and, and reminding ourselves, O oh Lord, I have offended you. You've been gracious to me. I've offended you. You've been gracious to me until it does penetrate into our hearts. Because we don't want to give the devil an opportunity. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, rob believers of their joy if we give him an opportunity. And here's the thing. We know that the Lord uses the enemy in order to bring about trials and testing and various things like that. But we need to understand this as well, that the scripture says that Satan is like a roaring lion, right? Seeking someone to devour. And I remember what Dr. Joel Beakey had said about that passage. He said it's like this. Satan is like a dog on a leash. And the one who's holding the leash is the master. And if you get too close, he can bite you. He can only go so far to the end of his chain and he can bark at you. But if you get too close, he can bite you. And so we don't want to give the devil opportunity. We want to stay as clear-headed as we can, as focused as we can, because when we do get angry, what is it that occurs? But evil thoughts and, and malicious thoughts that rise up within us. Our hearts are full of bitterness, no longer sympathetic to one another. No longer being gentle, but now showing resentment and ill will. That's what anger does. And so for a church to remain strong and remain united, the very thing that is needed is don't let the sun go down on your anger. But remind yourself of the grace, of the grace that has come from our Lord and allow that to make your heart tender toward the other. That's the very thing that I can say that I've not really done. For those that have upset me, angered me, outside of the church is what I'm referring to. I, I haven't reminded myself of those things. I, I asked the question, and even though we've been over this recently, I still ask the question at times, why, did, why does he not see that? Why is it that 
we're having this to be done rather than this to be done? Why is it that I'm, I'm getting the short end of the stick here? And then the very thing that should be out of, out of our mouths is the very thing we've talked about a number of times. If you in your homes and in the church and in your workplace, if you consider yourself to be the chief of sinners, when you feel like someone else has wronged you, you don't ask the question, well, why is it that they've done that? I can't believe that they've done that. Well, you should believe that they've done that because they're a sinner. And you're the chief of sinners. So if you're the chief of sinners and they sinned against you, then you're going to be a little bit more compassionate towards them because of how you regard yourself. And that's where I had to repent as well because I didn't do that. I stayed very angry for a while, even to the point that one brother had come to my wife because it was overflowing in the time that I was here to even ask my wife, is he all right? He's just, he's not like he usually is because I allowed that to build up in my heart. So we speak truth. We speak the truth in love. We don't let the sun go down on our anger, but we remind ourselves of the grace that was shown to us in Christ so that we don't give the devil an opportunity as he allows things to fester. And this one was very interesting to me, looking at verse 28, because he speaks much of communication. He speaks much of, 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 of the attitude of the person or the, the, the speech. But here he says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. And looking at this, it's like it seems kind of out of place here. We're talking about communication and attitudes. Why all of a sudden are we going into stealing and, and working with our hands and all of this? What if we really stop to consider this? I mean, one, let's, let's look at it from... The point of view of the, of the author, perhaps uh, the apostle has in mind those that, that stole for a living, you know, those that would extort others. You know, you all, you know, we have a number of instances of like uh, some of the tax collectors. We have Zacchaeus who was gouging people as well for his, for his own self. We have the apostle Paul who, who also says in Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, he says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they, will, that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. So you have those perhaps that stole for a living, those that were gouging others for a living in order to gain money. You had perhaps bond slaves in the house of their master, pilfering when the master isn't looking. And the apostle is saying to them, be honest. Be selfless. Work for what you have. Work for what you need. What is it that causes people to steal in the first place? Selfishness. Selfishness. I want this, so I'm going to take it. So he is still dealing. This is the action that comes from it, but he is still dealing with the inner man. The inner man to be satisfied, to be selfless. To be honest. If you if you're only out for yourself, you're only concerned for yourself or your advantage and disregard others, 
This is what leads to that kind of action. The apostle is telling the Ephesians church to be, to be selfless, to not be selfish. Very similar to as he says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And it's similar to what the apostle says here in Ephesians 4. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Do this. Be selfless and look out for the interest of another. That's, that's vital uh, for a church, is to be selfless and to look out for the interest of another. Sometimes we look out for our own interest, but what is it that our Lord is commanding? Look out for the interest of others. Consider them. Look at what's happening in their life. So we speak the truth. We control our anger. We are to be honest and selfless and to help others as they have need. And then he says more about our speech. We are to speak gracious words. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The word unwholesome carries the idea of, of corrupt or rotten, uh, that which is putrid, words that are corrupting, defiling, injurious. That's what's in view here. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. You have some converts to the Christian faith that are likely coming from very impure environments here uh, with uh, foul conversation, foul practices, debaucherous practices at social parties, very toxic environments. And the very thing that is needed for them to reflect upon is their practice and their language and they needed that consistent encouragement. And, in, and we need that consistent encouragement too. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. You take foul language, sure, that could be part of it. You take the idea of uh, speaking of, of things that we shouldn't, inappropriate things. That could be in view as well. The apostle does say this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. One theologian had pointed out that the idea of abusive speech, he had in mind perhaps sarcasm, complaints or criticism, cynicism, the kind of speech which brings others down. The kind of speech which doesn't promote the building up of others. And you, you look at some of these. We know sarcasm. The idea there is, is a compound word. Uh, we have the word flesh in, in the scripture, which is the Greek word sarks. And so you have sarcasm, which carries the idea of the tearing of flesh. That's what we do when we do it out of anger. You know, sometimes... I ain't going to tell you what I say to my son because you'd think I'm awful. But 
Sometimes I'll, I'll holler for him and I'll tell him, come in here. And it's using sarcasm to get him in there. And it's, it's fun and it's playful. But then there are times in which we can use sarcasm in a completely different way. I remember a family member of mine who was working with us and worked with us for a good while when I was still doing flooring. And one of my pet peeves was being late. Couldn't stand it. So he was late often. And I mean often like every day. And so out of my anger towards him because I couldn't just unload on him like I wanted, I would dig at him with sarcasm. And it was a way for me to say what I wanted to say, but not to the fullest extent, but just enough that it satisfied me because I was angry with him. That kind of sarcasm is what can tear the flesh of another, metaphorically speaking. You think of the power of speech. James says in James chapter 3, verses 6 to 8, And the tongue is a, fi- is, is a fiery evil, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and goes on to say, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a, re- it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. That's how powerful the tongue is. But you don't just have sarcasm, as the one theologian had brought up. You have complaints. You have criticisms. I was, I was really stopped in my tracks. I was listening, the other day, I was listening to um, a sermon by H.B. Charles. And he said something that just made me just stop and just give much reflection on what he said. He said, he said, don't give up on the church. He said, sure, there are a number of things to criticize. But do you pray as often as you criticize? And I got to thinking, no, I don't. For instance, the one pastor friend of mine that I was telling you about who is having all kinds of things that are happening, those that are really not supporting him, that are causing more discouragement for him. I get angry, and when I'm on the phone with him, all I have is criticisms towards those particular people that I don't even know. And I pray for him, and I pray for God's uh, comfort to be with him and, and for peace to be given to him, but I don't pray for those others. All I have is criticism towards them. For the other things that were going on in my life, I'm praying for God to give me peace and to give me wisdom, give me a calm heart, let me get through the day, and not one time am I praying for the ones that are aggravating me. All I have for them is criticism. We don't need more critics. We need more prayer warriors. We need to be more people of prayer than we are of being a critic. There are a number of things to criticize, for sure. But are you praying as much as you criticize? 
that caused me a lot of reflection. Because to me, that was not the case. I don't want to be, and I definitely don't want to be to you, I don't want to be like a friend of Job. I don't want to just analyze your life and to give you all kinds of criticisms that are only going to take you down further. He says, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. I want to be able to lift you up. I want to lift you up, even if it's corrective. As Dr. MacArthur actually says, quote, our speech should build up, our, our speech should build up uh, by being helpful, constructive, encouraging, instructive, and uplifting. Sometimes, of course, it must be corrective, but that too is edifying when done in the right spirit. Edification, that's building each other up. That's how we need to talk to one another, is to build each other up. Not to bring you down. Not to cause you in, to be in more despair or to be more discouraged. The way in which we talk to one another is so important, dear church. We need to pray perhaps as David prayed in Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We build each other up, and we build each other up according to the need of the moment. I don't want to have a situation in which I say the wrong thing to you because I'm not being mindful of what you're going through, or you to do the same to each other because you're not being mindful of what the other is going through. It would be as ridiculous as this sounds. I mean, I'm just giving a, throwing out something here. It would be awful if you were going through a very terrible time you were discouraged at heart. And you came up to me and you say, you know, brother, I need to talk to you. And I say, man, you look really down. What's going on? And I say, hey, let me tell you this funny thing. A horse walked into a bar and the bartender looked at him and said, why the long face? Why the long face, brother? Instead of looking at you and saying, what can I do? How can I build you up? What is it that you need from me that I can help you with? You need to be mindful of the moment that you give grace to those who need it. That's how we should be to you, you to be to each other, you to be to us. We need your prayers just as much as you need each other's prayers. We need your encouragement just as much. And, you know, it's very difficult at times, even for the leadership of the church. Because you have one that criticizes, well, that's just one of many. You have one who has an opinion, well, that's just one of many. And many of the times we're having things coming from all kinds of directions, and we have to try to sift through everything in order to take into consideration the church, take into consideration this particular idea that's being given. It may be a good idea, I don't know. But it has to be whether or not this is a good idea for the church. And so there's a lot of praying and there's a lot of seeking out and there's a lot of things going on. And it's very tough when all you get is criticism and criticism. 
And it ain't no easier for you. Maybe sometimes we could look at each other and say, you know, I know you're having difficulty, but here's some good things that you're doing. Here's some good things that, that you're really making, making a difference and you're being such a benefit to others. Here's some things that we can work on together. Have you considered this? Let's help you. We need to build each other up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Maybe we ought to merge that prayer and say, Oh Lord, set a guard over my lips and help me to speak what is good according to the person's need. Maybe that should be our prayer. We speak the truth in love. We speak with care to build others up, even when it's corrective. How do you speak to each other? What words do you say to each other to build each other up? Do we pray as often as we criticize? You know what brings joy to the Lord? What brings joy to our Lord is when we are united together. In verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's bringing all this to a summation here. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God by not carrying out the very things that we just read. But by carrying out the things that we just read, we can surely bring joy to Him. To grieve Him is to give the occasion of sorrow to our Lord. That may sound kind of weird. You mean we know that God is sovereign, God knows everything, He knows it before we ever do it, and He's planned out everything according to plan, everything is plan A, there is no plan B, all of that, we, we know all that. So it's, it's, very, it's very awkward at times to think, is, is God grieved? Is God sorrowful? He absolutely is. If we are created in the image of God according to His likeness and we have emotion, then that emotion is a reflection of the emotion which is perfected emotion, of course, in our Lord. You take certain passages like in Exodus chapter 33, uh, 32, 33, right in that area, when the Lord says, you know, I've, I'm, I repent that this, you know, I even pull these people out of here. Or actually, I'm sorry, when he says that of, of, uh, of, of Saul. He says of Saul, I repented that I even made Saul king. He said of the people when he was getting ready to destroy them, he repented of that. But that doesn't mean that God repented in the sense that we understand it. It doesn't mean that he changed his mind in the sense that we understand it. It, it is using human language in order to show God's displeasure, the sin that's happening. When God says he repented that he made Saul king, it doesn't mean like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. I can't believe he did that. This is more like God is demonstrating the very fact that he's grieved because of the sin that is being committed by Saul, using language that we can understand. He is displeased when sin is in the camp. He is displeased when his people are not united. He is grieved 
when we carry out the very deeds of our old lifestyle rather than walking in the newness of life. What brings him joy is when we carry out verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put, aw- be put away from you, along with all malice. Put these things away, he says. The things he just spoke of already. Of lying and of being angry, of allowing bitterness and resentment and all of those things to come up, having malicious thoughts towards one another, being selfish with one another, speaking whatever it is that we desire to one another in order to cause hurt. Put all this away from you. And then the positive thing he says here is to be kind to one another. The idea of being kind is to be gentle, to be gracious, to be obliging to one another. To be tender-hearted is to be compassionate, to be sympathetic. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's how we do it. That's how we allow those good qualities especially to to come into our minds and into our hearts in the moment that we are heated the most is that we remember the forgiveness that we've had. We remember the forgiveness that Christ has given to us. We remember that Christ has paid such a high penalty for our sin and yet he still loves us even in view of all the suffering that he endured on behalf of his people, not just from the nails and and, and the crown of thorns and, and being crucified, but by enduring the very wrath of God, the wrath of a holy God. And yet he still loves us. He died for us while we were ungodly. Those things need to, uh, we need to reflect upon those things and be kind to one another. Forgiving each other. What does it mean to forgive? That's a, that's a big thing. We, we know that to forgive, you know, we're, we're not holding it against them again. And we, we read of, of the Lord's forgiveness and then he cast our iniquities as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more, as the scripture says. Does God really forget? No, because there's not something that he has not known or does know. He knows all things. So what does it mean that he cast him into the sea of forgetfulness and all that language that is used about the forgiveness of God? What does it mean? He still knows it. He still remembers it. He doesn't just wipe it from his memory as if it never happened. But it does mean that he will not bring it to our charge again. So while we forgive one another, we don't forget what has happened. But to truly forgive another is, I won't hold this to your charge. I won't bring this up against you again. It is gone. That's how we forgive. We don't forgive for the moment. We forgive it, period. 
Forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We want to be a strong church. We want to be a united church. And we need to be very mindful of what's going on in another's life in order to be a benefit to them. To be a help, not a hindrance, not a critic. It's easy to criticize. Back in, I think, December, back in December, I had a lot of criticism towards me from particular one. And it was a lot for me to try to work through everything that I was reading. To try to allow my heart to respond kindly and graciously. But if we just stop even in the midst of that kind of criticism and we just stop for the moment. Let, let, our, let our minds have time to digest everything and to pray that even in the midst of that, we can also be gracious. But what was coming was very much founded upon being very uninformed. And that's what causes a lot of criticisms too. Not just hurt. We, when we're hurt, we criticize. Not just um, pride. Pride is one reason that we criticize because we, we elevate ourselves above others. But it's also being critical of things that you think should be one way or the other, but not really being informed of how it actually is. So we need to be on guard when it comes to those things as well. When it comes to criticizing, we need to seek out what exactly is actually happening here. May I ask a question? May I you know, look more into this? If it's a matter of being hurt, then take the time to pray. Remind yourself of the forgiveness that is in Christ that you respond properly. If it's a pride issue, sometimes that happens. Sometimes we think that, as I also think is part of the other case, but sometimes we think ourselves much smarter than others. And so we want to give our view of how things, or how we think things are. You know what really kills our pride? recognizing what our Lord says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. Not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the base things of the world to shame the wise. So you didn't choose me because I'm so wise? How about no? He chose the base things of the world to shame the wise. Again, when it comes to pride, sometimes if we just take our time to work through the scripture, usually our pride will be brought low pretty quick. When we realize who we were, who we are now because of God's doing. I'll tell you this and then we'll close. I was watching a, uh, I was watching a question and answer with Dr. MacArthur and some of these other pastors. And they were asked a question. If you could go back and you could speak to a younger John MacArthur, just heading into ministry, what would you say? And Dr. MacArthur said, and if he could go back 
and speak to himself just starting out in ministry. He would want to exhibit more pastoral patience with people, not focus so much on structure, but allow the word to do its work and focus more on loving those who come alongside us. After years and years of pastoral ministry from one like Dr. MacArthur, if he could go back, this is what he would tell himself. These are the things that we need to also seek to bring about in our church. We show pastoral patience. You show, you show patience with each other. Things will get ironed out as they need to be and as we're working towards that. But our focus should be on loving each other as we come alongside each other. We want a united church. It's only united in truth. It's only united when we're selfless, when we're edifying one another. We want to be strong, and we want to be strong in the Lord according to what we find in the Scripture, uniting in the Scripture, and loving one another. So I pray, dear church, that as we move forward from many of the trials that we have all endured, that we keep our focus on these things so that when the next one comes, we, we already have in our minds the very things that we need to do for one another. I love you, and I am so grateful for all of you. And it is truly a joy to, to grow with you. And we want to help. We want to be there for you. So I pray that we all work towards these things. To love one another and forgive each other. Just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your continued forgiveness. Thank you for your grace that you provide us. Father, we need you every hour. Every minute, we need you. We are so grateful for the Spirit of God that you have granted to us. Thank you for his continued presence. Thank you for all that he does in our life of changing us, of molding us, making us what you desire. You know, Father, how we fall short often. We don't do what we ought. But I pray, Father, that you would lift up our countenance towards you even in those moments. Bring peace to our hearts and remind us, as our pastor said earlier, that your mercies are new every morning. Father, thank you for that great promise. Thank you that when we sin, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We pray, Father, you would do a mighty work within our, our hearts, within our lives, within our church. Father, bringing us such joy for what it is that you're doing in our life, but helping us to be on guard for the fiery darts of the enemy. Help us to be sober in all things, diligent to preserve the bond of peace. As your word says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Father, we thank you so much for all that you are, all that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said.